Hello, Hockey World. So, um, Mike, I am not often jealous of Nick Kiprios, but um, <laughs> oh, because he was sitting next to Tim Cook. Yeah, so I, I, I am. I, did you see Tim Cook last night? I did not. No, I was wondering. I didn't think anybody would be able to get close to Tim Cook, probably. But um, yeah, he was in Canada, and I just uh, seeing you know Tim Cook, who I follow on Twitter. Yeah, there, was, there was somebody. There was somebody else there too. It was Tim Cook, and there was somebody else sitting next to him. That was oh oh um the. Canadian tennis player Dennis Shapovalov. Oh, okay. El Shapo. Yeah, it's like honestly, if I'm going to choose a Canadian tennis player to sit next to, it's going to be Jeannie Bouchard, who, by the I way, must follow on Instagram. Must follow Jeannie Bouchard on Instagram. Well, I, the, the, talk, <laughs> talk talk about somebody who had their 15 minutes of fame, and now the son of a bitch is going to get it again. The guy, the guy who challenged Jeannie Bouchard during the Super Bowl last year that the Patriots would not come back and win. Oh, right, right. He, he right. got. He she, he won the bet when they came back, and she went out on a date with him. And yeah. now, apparently, yesterday, somebody offered them two Super Bowl tickets to go to the the Super Bowl in Minnesota. And the, apparently, the response was, "Genie's up for it." Like this guy's not going to say he's up to go to a Super Bowl and sit next to Genie Bouchard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you, you know, that's all right. Yeah, we're not live. You, we are live, but we're not. You guys know what the real reason. Tim Cook was there for right. Yeah, I know that's no, well. No, no, he Babcock wanted him to come in because he wanted he had no idea how to slow the avalanche down. And seeing as Cook's been able to slow every iPhone down, he figured that was his best advantage. <laughs> very nice, very nice. <laughs> Timely, you know, you have to know what's going on in technology. But cut, yeah, I like it. Like in general, yeah. Tim Cook, yep, that's very, very well done. I was just and gonna, it piles was, on Babcock, which is what every least <laughs> and it piles on Babcock and at least same time, yes. So I think that was pretty amazing. I know he was actually in Toronto for this coding initiative for children, which is a really great thing. No. Yes, Peter, it was a very good thing. He was there. I, I was gonna say I was envious. I was envious of Kevin being who'll probably be at the opening cer ceremonies in Pyeongchang because he'll be there to watch Tessa Virtue carry the Canadian flag. Other than that, I wouldn't watch the opening ceremonies, but since she's going to carry the American flag, I'm interested. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, I, I, I may be there. Uh, I get in actually the day before the Olympics, which is as late as I've oh, ever wow. been into the Olympics. Uh, so, I mean, it's probably a good thing. Just it's a fewer days to yeah. uh, be in country as they call it in the military, but uh, right. um, I'm uh, um you know, and then I come home, of course, on trade. I'm flying back on trade deadline day. So that's incredible. The first trade deadline I've missed in 31 years. So you're hoping that there's Wi Fi in the plane so your phone can just ring off the hook, right? Well, actually, not. I mean, I, you know, it'll, it'll be fun to sort of land and see what happened while I was. You're not going to Wi Fi it on the plane? I, I don't think so. I, I mean, I'm not planning to to work. I mean, uh, yeah. we're going to handle it. Uh, Jimmy Haskup, my editor, and uh, Mike Brem, who is my former editor, who has uh, um, done a lot of hockey coverage, is going to just have to handle it. I mean, it, it's just one of those fluky things that, uh, you know, uh, so I guess, I you know, well, I mean, we'll see. I mean, I, I mean, my curiosity Killed the cat and may get the best of me on yeah. a you know seventeen hour flight home. So. Not like thinking, not wanting to be like, not wanting to at least like check in on hockeybuzz.com and seeing. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> okay, but, Kevin, uh, did, did I did I ever tell you that? And I'll be quick because we're gonna start the show. Have I ever told you the story about me during the trade deadline when I was a kid? The only the only way for me to find out the updates and the trades was to call sports phone in New York. The, the uh, that. It was a it was an individual it was a call that cost like eighty five cents a minute back in the day and it was a nine one four area code number and I called this thing on trade deadline day they updated every ten minutes I called every ten minutes from nine a.m. to three p.m. and then 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 the phone bill came the following month and it was over two hundred dollars and I I was lucky to stay alive yeah no I can understand that uh, geez that's a uh, yeah, I mean, it's yeah, back then it really was like the phone were call and you know, so yeah, I mean, I remember, um, I, early internet for me on the trade deadline was like HF boards, right? That was the only place you could go, that was where I remember going to. Right. That, those message boards where everybody was posting everything, you know, that was that happening make, in their local town. That makes the high that makes the hockey buzz chat room look like the New York Times. Oh, yeah, yeah, but back then that was it, you know, I mean, that yeah. was really it. Well, well unless you lived in Canada. 
when you, yeah, that's what I was going to say. You know, right, that, right. when you really appreciate Canada is on trade deadline day when, you know, they, they have gavel to gavel coverage of the trade yeah. deadline. You know, I mean, and it really is like a holiday, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think don't people actually call in sick on trade oh. deadline day? Oh, yeah. All the time. You, yeah. You knew I was you knew I was sick from whatever school I was going to on two days. NFL draft when it was done in the afternoon, the mornings, not not an event like it was done in the mornings. It was on ESPN and the NHL trade deadline. I would I would call in sick both or I would be sick those days. Yeah, yeah. Um, we never. By, by the way, before we get started, has everyone seen the movie The Post? No, not yet. I want to though. Uh, well, it's an incredible movie, and uh, you know the story. It's not like I don't appreciate the importance of the story. I mean, this is the Pentagon Papers, the Ellsberg, uh, you know, situation, and a very important in journalism history. But for me, it's been a stroll down memory lane because of the journalistic process mm. that's on display. Like, uh, and I wrote about it on Facebook today. It's, um, you know blue pencil uh, editing, it's uh, chasing down stories and deadlines and, you know, a wire copy that rolls off a teletype machine that would be, you know, a long story would be eight or 10 feet long and it would trail like a, a bridal gown uh, uh, as you sort of carried it into the newsroom from the wire room. I mean, it really, as my wife said during the movie, when the presses were running, she said, you know, you can almost smell the newsprint. Like it was, uh, you know, you know, that was just where I started my career was I writers and, you know, you pounding stories. And, you know, I actually, a couple of times in my career, I actually was able to say the words, this is Alan, give me rewrite, you know, <laughs> well, you, know you, you know, and you kind of saying, you know, I need you to dictate, you know, <laughs> you'd, you'd be staring at your notepad and you're composing a story uh, as you go. And, you know, you'd say, uh, you know, Smith said, period, you know, new paragraph. And then you, you know, <laughs> there you go. That's well, oh, man. Yeah. The, one, the, the one thing, and I haven't seen the movie, but I talked to friends who have the one thing I like that I heard from them, which is a great way of transitioning from that movie. Cause it was pre Watergate to all the president's men, which is obviously the story of Watergate is the last scene in the post is the break is like the, like flashlights in a room for the Watergate break in, which I think is perfect is because that that's where all the president men, president's men starts. And that's where that, that movie ends. That's great. I love that. Yeah, scene. no. And the, and the groundwork for, um, you know, the, the Watergate story is sort of laid out in this Ellsberg because after the Pentagon Papers, um, there was a general sort of mistrust of what the government was telling us. And um, that was certainly, uh, you know, true. I mean, because this, what's lost about the Pentagon Papers is it wasn't just the current administration. This had carried over right. you know, five presidencies. Right. <laughs> and they, back, back to Truman, yeah. Yeah, you know, the Democrats and Republicans, everybody was lying. John F. Kennedy, Lyndon Johnson, uh, you know, Richard Nixon. Um, they were all just, um, you know, lying about why we were in, uh, you know, Vietnam. And there, there's a very telling, uh, you know, speech in the movie when basically it was said and stated in the, the Pentagon Papers that 70% of the reason why we were in Vietnam was is because of the pride of not wanting to admit we were going to lose the war. I mean, it, it's really dramatic stuff. And considering that, you know, today's so many people today don't, uh, you know, kind of remember that it's a very important uh, movie uh, for this generation. So. Oh, definitely. Definitely. No, that, that's, that's, that's amazing. I remember one time I was, I was, I forget who I was talking to, but about, I was, someone was putting up quotes. This was, this was, this was when I was working, an intern at the Inquirer in college, and it was a it was a public official saying something, and I said I said to the person I was with, just I was just following along, seeing them do it, like how do you know that they're telling you the truth? And he says, we don't, we don't, but things like the Pentagon Papers eventually come out, and that that, that was something that was said to me back you know in 1990 in high school. I was like, well, what is what is one of my favorite lines ever from a movie? It was Jack Nicholson and a few good men yelling, but you can't handle the truth. 
Yeah. Well, that is certainly true today because uh, in today's society, we cannot handle the truth because we simply don't believe it. You right. Know, we don't believe what our president says and people don't believe what, uh, you know, what, uh, you know, normal citizens say. Nobody believes anybody. So, um, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Nobody, nobody can handle the truth. Well, I believe in hockey, and um, we'll we'll move on from there. Um, I still get this too. I still get the AP style book every year. <laughs> this is like the one thing that I keep on from my from 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 height from college from 1990 on. I still get it. Is a locker room one word or two words in the AP style book? Um, <laughs> I will find out for you. Um, let's let's first enter the show. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen. Um, <clears throat> hello, hockey world. It is Tuesday, January 23rd, 2018. I'm Michael Agello. I'm Peter Chesky. Kevin Allen, USA Today Sports. And I'm Eklund, and you're watching Hockey Buzzcast on HockeyBuzz.com. Hockey Buzz is one word, by the way. Um, <laughs> and uh, this is the podcast that comes every Monday through Friday at this time to fill you in on the comings and goings in the hockey world. And Kevin, we're talking about coming back from um, the Olympics. And you'll miss the wall-to-wall coverage of the Evander Kane sweepstakes, or will you? Will Evander Kane be gone before then? That's my, uh, That was my title of today. Because talking to a lot of people, I think he will be gone before then. I think I think the Vander Kane's going to get done within the next couple of weeks. The person I talked to today said that Botterill's playing it very close to the vest. Obviously, trying to get a lot, not wanting to make mistakes that may have been made in in recent Buffalo transactions. Um, that he wants to make sure he gets the most he can out of this trade. But at the same time, there's definitely a lot of teams that feel that you know this is a player who could who could help them out enough to maybe get into the playoffs. And why wait four weeks to get him? So we're in a spot now. Um, what do you think, Kevin? You think it happens earlier? I do. I, I completely agree with you on this. Um, I have spoken to two general managers in the last week, and uh, both uh, people told me the same thing. There's very little going on right now, but uh, both of them also thought that uh, Evander Kane um, was going to um, you know, go first or pretty soon. And that um, the problem is, is that the Sabres do want a lot. They've established what they want, and everyone's afraid to sort of engage at this point because they don't want to give up that much. But um, because if you're going to take a Vander Kane, this was one of the uh, theories that the one gentleman has put. You're, you're really trying to convince yourself that you're going to keep him beyond this season. So you're going to try to resign him. So, you know, because that's the only way to justify the big price that the Sabres want. So now you've got to convince yourself that he's not going to be a problem for you. You know what he can do on the ice. I mean, he's actually, when you look at his production level, it's been high in Buffalo. It really has. Mm-hmm. So you got to convince yourself he's not going to be a problem for you off the ice. And, you know, that's the issue. But um, I, I think he's going to go within the next, uh, you know, two or three weeks would be my guess. Yeah, it, would, it would make sense, Mike, be, or Kevin, because that's – you want to get a jump on him, right? If you're going to pay all this, you want to get him sooner, get him into the roster, figure things out as opposed to just add him in, add him in a in a month and 40 days, right? Get him in. But, I mean, to your point, the thing with Kane that I think people have overlooked, and it's certainly what so many Winnipeggers have, have said, was he really isn't that great. But he actually has been on a 30-goal pace for three seasons since he left Winnipeg. And that's – I mean, 30 goals in today's NHL – is 50 from 20 years ago. Yeah. And that's just the way it is. And there's not a lot of guys who do it and do it consistently. And a Kane is one of them. Um, You know, Kane wants the attention. He wants to win. He's an ultra competitive guy and he's not getting it in Buffalo. And I can, and, and not to his credit, but just more to the credit of people who say there's some off ice or some attitude issues with him. He wants out. It's clear. He does. He's done with the organization, but he's not making it easier on them either, which he also has to take some fault for. I think the organization, I mean, even if they weren't, if if even if they weren't in 30th or 31st place, the organization is done with him too. That's, I think it's, I think it's a, it's on both sides here. And that's where, you know, a general manager convincing himself or trying to carve out extra time to talk to Kane and get him to sign I don't know if I'm if I put myself in a general manager's position, like I'm treating him like Alexander Semin. I would go one year at a time. Now somebody is going to give him a four or five year deal. That's just the reality of it. But based on him having problems off the ice in two different places, 
that would scare me away. As as a mercenary, as somebody you inquire as a rental at the deadline, uh, you know the, the the race in the Western Conference is is really tight with four or five teams within three or four points of each other. There are teams that need scoring. I can understand why somebody would bring him in as a rental, but a long term situation that would scare me off. I think three years is going to be what it is. I think I think it's not quite long term, but I don't think it's a one year deal either. I, I maybe I'm wrong, but maybe somebody can get maybe he can get four or five years out of somebody. But oh, I I think he for sure will. I think he will. Okay, yeah. yeah. I mean, I I think there are there are trepidations about him. Oh, for sure. But I just think, you know, he's done enough on the ice. You know, of course, maybe I'm wrong. I mean, maybe I'm under underselling the well fear factor, but. The skill set is enticing, Kevin. That's why. It's like yeah. I mean, a guy who can score 30 goals, and like Peter said, they don't grow on trees. So if there's a guy out there, you're probably willing to plug your nose and and accept a certain amount of problem. But it's not just the off-the-ice stuff. It's the internal strife that he created in Winnipeg. If he's grown up, I mean, what is he, 26, 26 27 years old? If he finally grows up and gets past that stuff, you got yourself a real impactful top six forward but i've yet to see to that point that he's shaken off that problem and you know we'll we'll see if you know somebody is willing to give him a second or third chance yeah and it's not just the goals either i mean obviously the grit um mm -hmm. you know the penalty minutes are there um what is he 197 penalty minutes over the last two years something like that yeah um he's got a lot and uh you know he plays with a little fire and uh you know he's not a small guy and um, and he's, and he produces, you know, he produces goals. So it, you know, he's a fascinating guy. And, you know, what you were always hoping is, is that you get him at the time when the light bulb goes on and, yeah. he, you know, says to himself, um, you know, I'm, you know, I'm a really good player. And if I didn't cause any problems, you know, like my life would be so much easier. Uh, cause well, there, there's a mixture of opinions on, on him as far as, okay, the points, all the goals he's put up in Buffalo. But on one hand, you can say he puts them up in Buffalo, which is pretty impressive, right? That's you could and say, okay, the Buffalo doesn't have a whole lot of offense going on, um, and he's put it on. And then the other people I talk to say, well, he's played a lot of minutes in Buffalo because they don't have a whole lot of offense going on, so that's why he's putting up those kind of numbers. If he's if he's a third liner or a late set or a second liner, you yeah, know, but he, but he's not being brought into a team to be that. It's not a Thomas yeah. Danick situation where he was a top six in Detroit and then they made him a third liner in Florida. He's being brought in by a team that needs to score. That needs a top six forward. So, like, I mean, I think the only team that he would could potentially go to that he wouldn't be a top six would maybe be Washington. And I would say Washington would make him a top six because he's such a good scorer. So I, I don't think he's going to go someplace else and be a depth guy. It would defeat the purpose of making the trade. Yeah. Now, with Mike on that, you don't make a trade for him unless you're bringing him in to play in your, you know, in your group, your top six group. So now has has the maybe possible availability. This is what somebody brought up to me too, and I had a question for you guys. Hmm. Do you think the possible availability of Pacioretty affected the Vander Kane thing at all? Like that, somebody told me that they felt it did to a degree. That you know, before Pacioretty was possibly available in this in this trade deadline, Vander Kane was by far the best scoring option out there. I, I think there. I think it's two schools of thought here because. Kane's a Kane's a rental, and a team might want to acquire him to sign him, but they don't have to, and he can go free agent next summer. Whereas Pacioretty's got a year left, and it's a very reasonable salary. I think it's four and a half million dollars, but it's still he's still got another year, and I think that mitigates what Montreal, what Bergevin is going to be asking for in a trade. He's not going to be willing to take a draft pick and a prospect. I think he wants more for Pacioretty because it's not just a one-year fix; it's a two, it's a two-year fix. But that's what we're saying. Like Kevin said, you're bringing in Evander Kane. You're bringing in somebody that you're hoping that you can keep there for more than a year or two. So with Pacioretty, you're guaranteed you're keeping him there for more. Than a year. But what could acquiring Evander Kane be? Could the payback be the return simply be contingent on if he signs another deal and how far they go in the playoffs, too? So, say it's that, a conditional second, first yes. to get to the conference finals and he re signs or something like that. One of the four pieces reportedly is a conditional draft pick based on right. signing. So it could be a fourth, but if he signs, it's a second. But right. there's still looking for a first round pick an nhl player and a prospect which is you know that's always the package for a top six forward or or top defenseman yeah i mean i i think that the rental price i don't think he's going to get quite that much mm. 
I think he will get a first-round pick. And my thoughts on the first-round picks is we are now reaching the point where if you're a contending team, the first-round pick was a second-rounder not all that long ago. You know, I mean, you know, there's 31 teams now. So um, if you're picking in the bottom, I, I think people will be willing to do that. But, you know, I think it could end up being a, you know, a B-minus prospect and, you know, that kind of thing. And I will say this. Now, I, I, I have a, I had a general manager that he thought Pasharetti would get traded. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think he will. I, and this is just my hunch from having watched this because, you know, uh, he's got what he's got, five goals in the last five games. Yeah, and, yeah. In Montreal, like you know, they can't go into rebuilding mode in Montreal. That's just not allowed. Right. Yeah. It's it's just really out of the realm of possibility. He's still 29 years old, and now, despite his very you know horrendous start, Mm -hmm. you know what's he on a pace for? 24, 25 goals. Uh, He's got 15 now. Yeah. Uh, Not doing. He's not terrible. Well. No. 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 So at at some point, and his as Mike just pointed out. You know, his, his, his number's good in, in terms of salary, and uh, um, and they want so much for him. It wasn't like they're trying to – like, if you're yeah. if you're a contender bringing in Pasharetti, you're going to probably create one hole to fill another. Well, you know, like if you're bringing him in to score. So. I, let, me, let me put on X hat as being Mr. Counterintuitive because what I, what I actually thought that when, when Pacioretty started scoring that it increased the chances of him being traded because I think now teams might actually be willing to, tr- to offer up the package that, that Bergevin has been looking for him. Because, you know, a guy, you know, in spite of the fact that he scored 30 goals four or five times, them asking for a big package for him, even when his contract is reasonable, was a little out there because he wasn't having a good year. Now he's producing. Now he's the player that we know, and he's a quality forward, and, you know, he's got playoff experience, and for a team – you know, like a Nashville or a Pittsburgh or whoever, you know, these teams that need top six mm-hmm. forwards, he would be a good get. But I don't think those – I think those teams would have been a little leery about a guy who had four goals after a half season. But now he's got 12, and now he's producing like we know Max, Max Pacioretty can. So maybe maybe in a way that increases the possibility of other teams offering up what Bergevin might accept. Yeah, he's actually got 15. 15 now, okay. Yeah, yeah. So – uh, yeah, no, I it, it it's it's uh, I thought it was going to be hard to trade him because they wanted so much anyway. Like you know, mm-hmm. if you're going to trade a guy like Pacioretty, it, it's easier to trade him, you know, in the off season. Um, yeah, because you know the teams that want him and need him are teams in contending, and you know they want to give up you know assets, not everyday players. And Montreal was trying to make a hockey trade here, you know. Yeah. Right, right. And, and should Bergeron be the one making a hockey trade at this point in the game, right? Is Bergeron. Bergeron, yeah. Yeah. I always get that. I mix that name up. But yeah. I mean, I wonder, like, I mean, his future is certainly in question at this point, given the given all the turmoil there. So if, if you're Jeff Molson and his advisors, are you sitting there going, you know, Mark, go ahead, make a couple hockey deals to fix this? Or are you saying, don't make any, dump what you can, we're reviewing this. I mean, it's a tough situation either way you look at it. Yeah, I no, think they're I, telling him to make trades because he's talking to a hot a lot of people. <laughs> I mean, yeah. See, I'm, I'm getting just the opposite. Really? That there's not much going on right now. No, Everybody, that particular GM. That's the one GM I keep hearing being talked about to different. People. Yeah, but but I was saying all that. Everyone expects that there's going to be a lot going on. But yeah. Um, well, that that's an interesting question that Peter brings up, though, Kevin is is the fact that. GMs who might be in trouble, and let's let, put two of them in, 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 in proper context, Peter Shirelli in Edmonton and Jim Benning in Vancouver. I, I, I think Benning should keep his job because the way he's been drafting the last years, few, few years, it, it, it's a, he's actually done a good job. But, um, he, you know, his I, think, I believe his contract is up at the end of the year, and Vancouver's got players like Tanev and Gabranson and Vanek, who are UFAs or have a couple years left that they may be interested in trading. And does ownership allow him to make those moves if he's on thin ice? And Chiarelli and Edmonton is the same thing. Do Does Edmonton allow him to trade Patrick Maroon or trade – 
I mean, they're not going to trade Ryan Nugent Hopkins now, but in the summer they might trade Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Are they going to allow him to do that? They're not trading Ryan Nugent Hopkins. You don't, you don't think so? No. Really? Okay. No, I, I don't because, you know, one of the reasons why they're in this mess is they traded away too many players. Mm. And, what you know, what, you know one, of their, one of their issues, and they have many, um, one of their issues is they don't have enough scoring. So how in the world – doesn't help them to trade Ryan Nugent Hopkins. You know, they don't they don't have enough guys as it is that well, yeah. play offensive enough. So um I I just don't see that happening. And, and this the kind of the fa the fallacy of trading um you know high salaried players because you have to deal with the dry sidle um uh, Connor McDavid salary numbers just doesn't fit. If you look around the league, every team d deals with that, mm -hmm. and you know they they don't have too many. Not at this point. Um, you know, I I just yeah. don't think it's good. But I I, I do you know going back to where you made this point, I, I love your point about because it's so true. Uh, uh, when you're ownership, you've got to make a decision. Yeah. It, like, if, if, do you really want the guy that you're going to throw out the door making that decision? I, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I went on a radio show in Vancouver, and that was the subject of the day. And I, I, by the way, Mike, I completely agree with you about Benning. And this, to me, I've changed my opinion on. I thought Benning had not done a good job, but this season, and and that makes two general managers because I thought Joe Sackett had done a terrible job. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and Benning this season. At the start of this year, when you watch the way this team now looks with Horvat um, and Barchi and, and, Bess, the and, Besser. Besser, and the younger players now leading the way, mm -hmm. and the Sedins being the classy people that they are, yep. totally accepting their new roles and doing all they can to make it easy. You look at this team. And they were kind of a, a, a fun group to watch. Mm -hmm. Like yeah, they it, hung in the there younger for players had, had re-energized. This 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 team, the problem is, and this isn't Benning's fault. Horvath got hurt, and Barshi got hurt. Yeah, right. And and so I thought he deserved an extension. I I was surprised they didn't give him one uh, because if you're ownership and you were watching that team early on, you say, yeah, I get it now. Yeah, it's going to work. So I'm surprised at uh, at that, and um, I would allow him if I was ownership in Edmonton. I you know, I, I think uh, Peter Shirelli is, you know, uh, is in jeopardy. So I'm not sure that I would have them making trades. So, yeah. To, to your point on Benning, Kevin, um, the one thing he did do was he kept the team interesting enough that they're in on the, on the, um, the NCAA UFAs, which you have to be appealing to a, a, an NCAA UFA to even yeah. – get a chance he's kept them interesting and in some ways had Horvat not been injured had Bershi not been injured where would the Canucks be sitting right now it, it's sort of a, an interesting thing it's it's a great excuse for Jim to say well, if he goes back to the Aquilini family and say look guys we were all tracking really well until this this went off the rails for no other things than injuries yeah. we have two 37 year old guys who are having excellent seasons for what they are there's potential here but you know what guess what you also could be possibly getting a lottery pick that yeah. could get you off Dolan. they're actually in a good situation yeah. because of bad luck and if benning gets a top three pick in this draft with who he has with um what with the defensive the finished defenseman that he took last uh, oh, oh, Levy. Yeah. yeah yeah he could actually put this franchise back in a really good place particularly with the way Travis Green's been received with the education and teaching he's done with the young players. Yeah. And, you know, I know they've got a bit of a, a, a bit of an issue with Goldobin um, with where he may feel he should be at in his playing time. But aside from that, Benning may have pulled, you know, pulled himself out of the fire and back into the frying pan and actually be cooking up something quite nice now. Yeah. Add, add a Brady Kachuk or a Svechnikov or a Darlene into that team. Yeah. You know, you're probably going to keep the the Sedins at less than the. I, I think probably they're going to make, you know, maybe between them eight million dollars, maybe five, maybe four million each for a couple years because they want to stay in Vancouver, yeah, right. and may, and maybe you get, you know, maybe it's time for Thatcher Demko to step up as the number one goaltender to take over for one of, uh, you know, either uh, um, Nielsen or or Markstrom. Mm -hmm. 
and there you go. I mean, I, I, I think they're I think they're two years away from being a really good team, uh, a, a very competitive team in, in the West, and that's a lot quicker of a turnaround than I ever thought that they were going to make. I thought they had to just completely destroy that team. And 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 they have and one thing that one thing that Benning did this summer he adds Delzato, Gagne, and yeah. Vanek. Vanek's thirty four years old. He's second on the team in scoring. He's an expiring contract. You could do yeah. what Detroit did last year and trade him, and then re-sign him because he likes it in Vancouver and bring him back. And, you know he's he is he is something to move. You know they're not going to make the playoffs. He is somebody you can get a really good return on and then bring him back. That's that's where they are right now. Now look, just on to that point, Mike. Do you think Anders Nilsson is a trade chip? At the deadline, he's got one year left at two plus million. Do you think he'd garner some interest from someone if the Canucks are stay as out of it as they are? Do you think there's? Do you think he becomes a valuable commodity? Only is it only for a team that needs a backup for more than one year? I mean, Edmonton needed yeah. it with Montoya, uh, you know, but I, I don't know. I mean, just to your point about Demko, right, and him yeah. coming in. Yeah, yeah. I, I see no value to him. I, 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 I just, really, I really dislike the. Canucks uh, goaltending, but I'm with Mike. Uh, you know, I bring up uh, Demko, keep one of those guys. Um, you know, it's time to see, you know, for Demko to get, uh, uh, you know, a look here. And uh, I, I just say, again, I, I can't say enough about the Sedins. Boy, what a great situation. Yep. You have two yeah. veterans who, who I, I'm more than, than sure that they will take a highly reduced salary and they'll be so helpful for these young players. Um, boy, you know, sometimes, no ego, no yeah, ego whatsoever. It, uh, you know, sometimes you stumble on superstars who are not only just great players on the ice, but are just fine, fine human beings. And, uh, you know, there's nothing, no one that can ever say a bad word about this. Oh yeah. No. And have two of them, yeah. two of them at the same time, you know, that yeah. go through. Oh, it's, it's so impressive. And, uh, you know, the, I remember talking to them at the NHL media tour a couple of years ago and they haven't even ruled out you know, staying and living in Vancouver uh, for the rest of their lives. You know, most Swedes go home, as we know. That's right. just the way it goes. I mean, they, they love their country and they move home. But uh, you know, they you know their kids have grown up in in Vancouver. They're you know pretty Canadian. You know, oh, yeah. so, so I, I, I I like the Canucks now. I like their general direction. And you know, it's funny. It didn't take much, like like adding Besser. And the acceptance of the the Sedin's acceptance of a, a more uh, of a lesser role, and it's just sort of changed everything there. Like uh, I just and, didn't like where they were. I was completely with Mike on that. I, I, well, I yeah, I, I, Benning. Remember, like look back to the last couple of trade deadlines and Benning. You know, like we really were like taking him apart. Like he the trade deadline, he was not yep. doing anything to help him or hurt him. I mean, he was really and he and press conferences were always very odd. Remember his these the strange press conferences. Right, but it but it turned it turned last year. Eck, he trade he traded on uh, Yannick yeah. Hansen to San Jose for for Goldobin, and he tra right. and he traded Alex Burroughs to Ottawa for Jonathan Dolan. Those were future moves. The, he finally right. he finally he got it. He got the fact that this yeah. is this team needed a reset. I don't think it's he that got it. I think he was allowed to do that. I I honestly think that oh, in okay. Vancouver they wanted they were not allowing him to do that. I, I, I that that's the sense that when looking back on those press conferences now with that. If you frame it in your head that this guy, this is the general manager is being told he cannot get young, he's got to try to compete now. Yeah, they, those press conferences make sense, uh, but you know at the time the Canucks fans were losing their minds because they're like, "This is the, what are we doing here? You know why are we? Yeah, what's going on?" And, ju and just I, and just one and just one more piece, they had possibly the best young forward at the World Junior in Elias Pettersson, who played for Sweden. Yep. he's going to probably be in Vancouver next year. Imagine putting him on the on the wing with the Sedins. Yeah, there you go, folks. I I think uh, Benning's uh, issue with regard to how he comes across in press conferences is personality. You know, he's yeah. just, yeah. he's just not charismatic. Yeah, uh, that could be very you know, we're we're accustomed and we like our general managers in the NHL um, to um, you know carry themselves like you know Ray Shiro or George McPhee or Ken Holland, and you know we like. Uh, you know, maybe not quite bombastic, but we, we like charismatic general managers, and he doesn't fit that. Yeah, you know? in the Canadian market, it's almost an ascent, it's a necessity. And yeah. after, I mean, Kevin Chevaldeoff is the next closest to bending in the hierarchy of oddest GMs in Canada. 
yeah. <laughs> hockey. And, yeah. and, and and he's just not overly exciting. Right. But right. then you go to, you know, Trelli's a quote machine. Yeah. But, you know, you've got Burke just standing behind Tre Living. Like, you know, Burke's right yeah. there. You've got you've got Sweet Lou, um, Dor. You know, Ottawa is a bit of a different thing right now. But and then you got Bergevin. Like, I mean, it's it's fun times in Canada, and they and it requires that. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree. You we we want our GMs to, you know, you you trust guys who can talk a good game. So yeah, but one city that usually is is kind of okay with with the more laid back thing would be Vancouver. And, but they were definitely getting, <laughs> they were getting, a, they were, they, it was even getting a lot for them. You know, you really sense that. I mean, the they one thing, I, the one thing I'll say here about Vanek, you know, and I've been trying to get rumor, tr trade rumors on him and seeing if any, there's any possibility of him going anywhere, Mike, because of what you said, you know, yeah. and I haven't gotten a whole lot yet with the exception of one person uh, throwing Pittsburgh out there. Well, and um, Pittsburgh well, to me, that just makes sense. Like we were, we did that since this feels like, you know, doing the trade deadline long enough to, that we're going to say that Vanek has been traded to the Pittsburgh Penguins. Right on trade deadline day, like that. Just he's, I've heard a third and a fifth for Vanek. Yeah. Okay. And 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 you know and That's... and and this is and this is the thing, Vanek, I, I think unfairly is being labeled because of the couple times that he's been traded at the deadline. He was traded from the Islanders to Montreal, and he failed in Montreal. He mm -hmm. he did okay in the regular season, but then in the playoffs he didn't do well. And then last year he gets traded from Detroit to Florida, and Florida misused him, put him in a third line role rather than in a second line role, and right. he didn't play well there. And now the book out on him is okay when he gets traded at the deadline, he doesn't come through. If you use him the right way, he'll come through. He's a very talented forward. You put him in front of the net in the power play, and he'll score goals. But don't expect him to be a checker. He's a mm -hmm. scorer. He's always been a scorer. Mike's right on. Yeah. Uh, I've heard the same thing that the knock on him is is people like Thomas Vanek. They like the way he plays, but they're fearful he is a regular season player who yeah. can goals. But when the intensity is dialed up and when there's no room and when there's somebody on you and in your face yeah. and pounding you, that he won't be able to do it. Now, fair or unfair, because Mike's points are well taken. He, he was not put in a favorable position in Florida. Um, but you know, right now he's in the, I got to prove that I'm a playoff performer and that's why the market for him, um, while teams are interested, they don't want to pay a lot. They want to pay, you know, two draft picks or a, you know, C prospect and a third round pick, that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah it's, point, it's pointless to bring him in if, if you're not going to play him with skilled players. That's just the bottom line. Well, they, well, they are, I mean, I think teams are willing to play him with skilled players. They just don't think he, you know, he's going to be able to do it. Now, they're, they're you know, they're worried about it now. Yeah. You know, so, I, I, I mean, Florida, I mean, you're, Mike was absolutely right. They, I don't know why they even brought him in, but. In Montreal, um, they played him on like the fourth line. Remember that Montreal, and they had a great yeah, run. But he, early he on, they did. He worked his way down to the fourth yes. line. Yeah. <laughs> That's what happened to Montreal. Right. You know, he, they just, they tried him and it just didn't work out. So, um, one thing on Vancouver, and it's it's a constant story coming out of there, is the level of, I guess, impatience the fan base has, but some of the concerns, even the coach who just had a new quote today about Jake Vertanen. And I'm often I'm wondering how long that relationship stays in that thing, even though he's coming to the end of his ZLC. Mm -hmm. You know, you wonder is is this just a bad match in terms of the organization, what they want, and is Jake Bertanen someone who could Benning, you know, could eventually say we got to cut ties with this and go a different direction. Well, they thought Travis Green was going to be the one guy who would get something out of Bertanen because when they sent Bertanen down to Utica, he played well down there. Yeah, but if he can't get it out, get good good play out of him. Then he, Let you know. Let's go back to the, his draft year and what did scouts say about him? What they said about him was, you know, we like how he plays, but sometimes he doesn't play very smart. And right. now he's up here, and what are we saying about him? We're saying yeah. basically <laughs> kind of what they said the year that he was drafted that, you know, he can't seem to be a coach pleaser and uh well the quote out of vancouver today was travis green just said i just read it said um you know jake has to learn to be a hard player to play against not just get your 20 minutes of ice and play yeah 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 so, that makes sense i wanted to get another switching off this topic i wanted to get get your opinion kevin on something i read about yesterday which i talked to a lot of people about last night um and that is the fact the western conference is 
is taking apart the Eastern Conference as of late. Yeah. Um, you know, over the last 10 games, there are, and this it didn't change last night. There were last night they were all interconference games, by the way. And and you know, four four Western Conference wins, two Eastern Conference wins. Um, but the, the, over the last 10 games, the Western Conference is 20 games over 500. The entire Eastern Conference is 18 games under 500. And there's only four teams above real 500 in the Eastern Conference and only four teams below real 500 in the Western Conference over the last 10 games. What's going on? What do you think? Why do you think this is happening? Well, I mean, we've had a rise in the West of, of teams. I mean, we've had, yeah. you know, Colorado, like the, the, the Central Division, despite the fact that we all thought that the Metropolitan was going to be the pool of death, it's yeah. really been the central division. Yeah. Where, um, the Colorado Avalanche's rise was unanticipated, um, to say the least. I think everybody thought they'd be better. Um, I said they were going to be 20 points better, but they're significantly better. The Winnipeg Jets, we've been waiting, but we didn't know it would be this year because, for sure, because we weren't sure where their goaltending was. You know, they've been incredible. And uh, the Dallas Stars have played terrific. It's, they've come together now. The Nashville Predators, um, while they've been a little bumpy lately, you know, they are playing like a contender. The Anaheim Ducks are healthy again. Um, yeah. You know, there's a lot of teams playing better in the West. Meanwhile, in the East, the the Rangers have, have hit a bumpy streak. The Carolina Hurricanes have been betrayed by bad goaltending. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. got hurt in Tampa Bay, um, which has really sort of brought them together or, or caused their their togetherness to kind of dissipate a little bit as well. So yeah, I mean, I think it's just the, the the oddity of four or five teams in the West being much better than we anticipated, yeah. and in the last uh, month, some teams going south uh, in the yeah Eastern Conference. And so. and Palat got hurt uh, yesterday or a couple of days ago for he's out yeah. for a couple months too, so that weakens Tampa. But Eck, five of the seven worst teams. In the NHL, come from right here in River City, the Atlantic yeah. Division. Yeah, they come from the Atlantic Division. I know. Um, and yet, Detroit goes out again, and they beat up on the Devils. They shut out the Devils last night, right? So, well, they're the first team that beat Vegas in Vegas. So, you yeah, know, Detroit has won games you wouldn't expect them to win all year. They can, and they, and they're not yet. They're not. I mean, they're not having a great season, but they. Every time I seem to look at them, they're they're beating a team that I don't expect them to beat. Um, for whatever reason. Well, what what you see with the Red Wings is what you expect for a team that's relying on younger players. Yeah, is a high degree of inconsistency, and uh, you know, right now that that team is about Larkin, Anthony to see you, Mantha Bertuzzi, who's really stepped in and and you know suddenly becomes has moved up in the in the food chain to you know is he second now in terms of their younger players and how important they are maybe yeah. Um, you know, they brought up pickets last night. Um, you know, there's a, uh, this is a, a, a team that, you know, really sort of knows that, you know, they need these younger players to play well. And, and, uh, um, and, and Morazic had two shutouts in a row. Do you think yeah. they trade him t tomorrow? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's been one of the worst goalies in the league for the last two seasons, and now he's had uh, two shutouts. And, you know, they're, they're, they're an interesting team. And, uh, um, you know, it, it's right now, if I'm Ken Holland, I'm, I'm just looking at that core group of younger players and trying to decide how good Rasmussen's going to be. And, you know, yeah. you're going to get one more player, you know, this, this season. And, um, you know, I think they're going to get a first round pick for green. I do, yeah. or they're going to get a really good prospect. Um, so that'll help them as well. Um, you know, I, I think they'd be better served. I, I don't think it's going to happen, but you know, they want to get a first round pick, but I'd want to get a guy who's farther down the road. Like they're yeah. at a state where if they could get a, you know, a, a young defenseman that, that they know is going to play in the league. Like I, I think that would really serve them. Um, yeah. you know, uh, Russ had mentioned the possibility of green going back to Washington. Um, you know, I've if heard they, that as well. Yeah. Yeah. And if, if, if they got like a Lucas Johansson, that's Ryan Johansson's brother, who was a, either a, high, a low first or a high second, who's a good prospect. I mean, I don't know, you know, I don't know how willing teams are to trade their firsts yeah. anymore. And that that's the thing. If they but I, I think I still think it's gonna end there, there's gonna be some sort of conditional pick in there for for you know on top of a prospect if they have to go that direction. What yeah. I'm wondering with Detroit though is Kevin, is is there any possibility they move, you know, guys with like 
like Nyquist, you know, who have a few years left in their contracts. Are those guys that they would be willing to move out, or do you think those are, you know? I think they're guys are more than willing to move out. I just think you can't get anybody to take, you know, the deals. I mean, it's so hard to get anybody to take any contracts because everybody is so tight and trying to move. And, you know, I've talked to a lower payroll team who pointed out when you look at the lower payroll teams now, they're not capped out, they're budgeted out. Like there's no room to take right. any, you know, salaries. Um, well, so. one one team that one team that can Peter is the Winnipeg Jets yes. because they, you know, they they you know they're near the top of the conference. They're on a playoff track, and what do they have? Like six or seven million dollars in cap space. Yeah, they have at the at the um, trade deadline, they'll be able to take on thirty million prorated. Yeah, like. Wow. They they've got a lot of one of the top teams in the in the NHL right now. You know, I mean, that's like yeah. that. It's a really good spot to be in. But next year, everything changes. Yeah, and that's the problem. They they are someone. I mean, the rumor and we've talked about this before on on past broadcasts that the rumor is they're looking for a depth center, and they're looking for depth and experience um, defense. Right. So, who fits that mold? Right. And and that's the biggest that's the biggest question. Would someone like Pacioretty be that kind of player for next year? Well, next yeah. year, like taking that salary on next year becomes a problem because Connor Hellebuck's going to get a big raise. Jacob Truba is going to get a big raise if if he's a Winnipeg Jet. I mean, we can talk about that till till, our, till the cows come home. Yeah. Till the cows come home, it's still unknown. But I would have a fairly good. I, I would believe, and Kevin, you could speak to this. Kevin Dayoff probably knows if Jacob Truba is going to be a Jet next year right now yep. i would think i would think he he's got a pretty good idea if they're going to find a number or if the kid just wants out yeah right don't you think though i i mean i and i don't have any inside information on this but mm-hmm. i really sense that if he if truba was being sincere about why he wanted out before that it was about opportunity mm-hmm. considering how important he is to a very good team now uh, I would think that 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 issue has been resolved. Like, uh, I, you know, I've watched the Jets enough to know, and I just saw them live. Uh, they were in Detroit not all that long ago, and I saw his importance. I talked to him about, you know, the way this defense is playing. Like, he can no longer make the case that, you know, I'm I'm not able to spread my wings because I'm not getting that opportunity. Like, he's he's very crucial to that team now. So. Was he lying? Did he just not want to be in Winnipeg? Well, we'll, we'll find out, I think, this summer. Yeah. That's what right. I think we'll find out. I, I don't think the money is going to be an issue. I think they can resolve that. I, I think it will just come out to see whether he you know, really wants to just play elsewhere. He's an American boy. Maybe he wants yeah. to be in an American city. And, you know, hey, what? That's his and, right. And well, that's the thing. And I think I think Kevin Sheveldayoff knows the answer to that question or with, with, with Kurt Overhart and they figure that out and they'll get to down to business. But to the, to that point, I mean, this is why they can't take a lot on two new contracts that kick in next season are Nick Ehlers, who's now going from entry level to 6 million a season. Brian Little is moving up about $800,000 in salary on his extension. And they're going to save some money when Sean Matthias is gone. They've got some, you know, They've got some guys who will be down, but Adam Lowry is going to need a new deal. But, 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 Line A can sign a new extension on yep. July one, and so can Blake Wheeler. And you yep. can't get more important than those two guys. Exactly. So while there's money right now, it doesn't. There's space right now. It doesn't last forever, and that's the biggest problem for I think. Not, I mean, not problem, but challenge. Where there is part of this fan base that says, "Go in, let's get the guys we need." You may not have the stars aligned like this ever again. And that's fine, but you can't you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater while you do it. You've still got to stick to what your liabilities are contractually going forward are. And I think it's easy to forget that. People look on a on a cap on a cap calculator on hockey buzz and they say, Oh, they've got this much to spend just till June thirtieth. Yeah. No, and when you problem is you take those guys and they come with salaries that extend to, you know to two thousand twenty one. Right. Yeah. You know, so. Well, yeah. and that's why I know, Peter, you wrote about this last week and, and I, I wrote about it uh, as well on the weekend. 
that's why Winnipeg, with the cap space that they have, a, a guy like a Thomas Placanitz, who's a veteran, you know, a 34-year-old center making $6 million, the market for him, based on the fact that nobody who's a contender can fit that salary under the, under the cap, maybe Montreal, you know, Montreal will have to retain salary for most teams to be able to get more for them. But Winnipeg and say, sure, I'll take that. And, and they have enough young prospects in their organization that they can offer something that Montreal actually wants. So that, that would be a fit. Absolutely. Uh, And, and, you know, and Kevin, you can speak what, you know, to what Mike is written about and, and, and myself as well is I think there's a belief in Winnipeg, Kevin, that, there's not enough experience within the group based on how well they're doing when you, if they do start pushing into a deeper round is the experience there. And that's one of the desires to bring some experience in. And I don't know if you've heard some of that. Yeah, or- I, I actually haven't, but you know, you can see that. I mean, like, who, like who's the flag carrier for this team in the playoffs? Like, you know, that's the, you know, what I would uh, yeah, Bufflin? say. Like- Bufflin. Bufflin's your guy who has the most, playoff experience yeah and he, and he does but uh, you know and you know he, he he's uh, you know he's been in that position and he's the with the physical element he brings that to it but uh, you know I still just don't know that he's quite quite right so I could see yeah. the argument that they could use just more guys is all but um, I like that Winnipeg team and maybe you know some of the thing that makes them so dangerous is you know kind of their younger guys that are really like x factors like yeah you know uh you know line a and kyle connor and yeah. you know guys that are so talented and like you know you just keep thinking well in any game that you know each of those guys could put up three points and healers i mean you know they're just all so good so i think they got to be careful i mean their mix is 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 pretty interesting now so yeah, I wouldn't do too much if I was Winnipeg. No, just just I, just a complimentary veteran. I mean, not nobody who's gonna take who's gonna upset the apple cart too much. Uh, yeah. One final thing before we end the show, and it, regarding uh, the Olympics, the announcement came out today from the IOC that a number of Russian players were uh, not given permission to participate in the Olympics. What the most notable was Valerie Nikushkin, who is under contract at the Dallas Stars, but uh, is in the KHL right now he left to, to play apparently it didn't have anything to do with NHL rights but it didn't have it also didn't have anything to do with illegal drugs either there's a lot of like smoke and mirrors here about why these players were de- denied but the Russians Kevin haven't uh, made the announcement of their full roster and apparently won't until Thursday this could be the interesting story of the, of of that of the Olympic tournament well, it could be because, you know, everybody wants to know, like, who's going to play, you know, you know, what guys are going to be, you know, kind of a part of all that. And uh, I, no one seems to know, like certainly no one in the NHL knows. Uh, and I've talked to, uh, you know, people who are involved in international hockey. And I think there's still, I mean, there's so much politics always involved yes. in Russian hockey. But, you know, now on top of this, you know, we have the, you know, the, uh the uh, Olympic uh, ban on Russians. And so everybody's just kind of sorting it out. So I think we're just going to have to wait and see. Uh, Anyway, no. And uh, Igor Orenko, who was the one who broke the story, at least that he was the first tweet I saw about this. He said, you know, it's still possible that the Russians say we're not going to the Olympics or, you know, or do something at the 11th hour just to really throw things for a loop. I mean, that would be typical of Mr. Putin, but let's not get into yeah, that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you know what? If they don't come, they don't come. Yeah. Believe it or not, we'll still play. Well, so. great show, guys. Uh, thanks, Peter, for uh, coming on. Uh, yeah, thanks, Kevin, as always. Uh, for Eklund, for Kevin Allen, for Peter Tessier, I'm Michael Agello. Thanks for watching. And remember, without the buzz, it's just hockey.